Super excited and honored to introduce you to Rena Trevi. Welcome. Nice to see you here. (laughs) So excited to have you. Well, so you refer to yourself as a vulnerability coach, but according to your bio, you have done a lot. You were a dominatrix in New York for 10 years and abroad. You've been trained in NLP, trauma, somatics, tantra, body work, and now you're practicing shibari as the art of healing. Yes, among the other things. <laughs> I love it. You really have done a lot in your life. It's I'm so excited to get into it. We're going to discuss how being tied up is actually healing. I'm very curious. Mm, right at it. <laughs> <laughs> but before we go there, let's... Um, I'm curious about your journey because I know you you started off, you came out into this world in a really oppressed state, right? Post-Soviet Russia. Mm -hmm. Do you think in a way that that oppression actually led you to seeking a big amount of freedom? Yes, I believe so. Growing up in Russia, it was a lot of repression there in a way, especially for women, sexuality, self-expression. Uh, becoming a leader as a woman was not possible. And yeah, it was a lot of like protest in me, bubbling up, bubbling up. Like, I don't like this. I hate this. I want to be independent. I want to travel the world. I want to express myself as a sexual being. Like, I don't want to hide anymore. Yeah, it was a lot of desire for freedom, for sure. It always fascinates me that some people accept the conditions and some people have this soul, this spirit that is just burning to be free. Yeah. I also feel like you accept it until you're ready. Ah. So it's like the it's like a seed that that's waiting to blossom at some point. So when the conditions are right, then it's like the time mm-hmm. to start growing. So of course I had to wait while I was in Russia because over there there were no possibilities. As I was a teenager, like growing up, there was no possibilities to change in anything. And then finally coming to the States, there were more and more and more opportunities coming for me. Mm, I yeah. love that. So you moved first to Washington. You got an MBA. Yes. And you were working in finance. I believed in American dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you went for it. And what happened? I was fast, though. My family really wanted me to get there fast. Mm. They like, really, we give you everything. You just have to get your degree. You have to be a successful person. You have to show us your success, like have a house, car. Like, and I was 18 when I moved, and then in my early 20s, when I already graduated with MBA, I was sitting in my cubicle, an office job, um, but my body was resisting all of that. Mm. I was feeling like I didn't come to the world for that. Ha! I love how your body was talking to you. What happened? I was falling asleep. Ah. Everywhere, all the time, in my office especially. Really? I would sit next to my boss and I would be like, like just falling. And I was pinching myself, like, don't fall asleep, don't fall. Lunch break, lunch break, on lunch break we're going to sleep. And then lunch break comes and I'm no longer sleepy, like, oh my God, what's going on? Oh, it's so interesting. You're just, just not interested. It was just becoming a torture for me. I just felt like it's just so wrong. And then two mm. weeks of vacation a year was like impossible. Mm. I was just so longing for traveling, like to see the world, meet different people. And I was just suffocating for me. Yeah. 
Wow. And then how did you end up with dominatrix? Well, it was also a sexual story for me because I always felt like I'm a sexual being since my teenage years. I've discovered that. But the messages of society were so conflicting in Russia specifically. One side is the repression of sexuality for women, like slut shaming. And the other side is the opposite, like knowing being sexual actually gets, gives you more in life because women don't succeed through other skills. They just got to be sexy and good wives. And that's wow. like a very conflicting message. And like I could not get like what's happening in one side. Like I know that I can use my sexuality to get things that I want. That's what I learned early in Russia. And at the same time, there's so much shame about that. And I just didn't know, didn't, couldn't get it. And um, also in all my relationships, I felt repressed sexually because I wanted to explore more. I thought, well, there might be more in sexuality for me to discover. But then every man would be like, just be a good girl. <laughs> Enjoy your missionary position and be happy with that ah. kind of thing. <laughs> so I felt very much repressed and there was this urge for freedom. And then I discovered like this underground scenes of... Washington DC, New York City afterwards, about which were about like rave music, drugs, and extreme sports, and the kind of people who revolve like in those places. They felt like my crowd because they were against uh, all the things that I was against. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I started to explore different states of consciousness, this mind altering substances, music, dance, creativity, and then like sexuality question came quite open like what's there what's there and that's when I met people who were into BDSM and initially I was not, not ready for this at all like I'm a good girl no it's not me at all but then somehow I started to get interest it felt like it's another way to kind of protest all the norms and rules and um, I was raised to be more submissive like most Russian women are supposed to be compliant to men be sexy please your husband kind of way and it just I just felt like it just doesn't work. Like you try to please others and they use you as a doormat kind of thing. Like it just mm -hmm. didn't feel right. And then all of a sudden, like a friend of mine tells me, like, I see you dancing with a whip. Like in the midst of dance floor, we're tripping on cactus. Like and he tells me, I see you dancing with a whip. Like, no, what are you talking about? It's not me. But I felt so insecure in my skin to even dance. And he like, no, just imagine for a second you dancing with a whip. And and then this insecure girl like all of a sudden imagines like, like in the mm. movement and the dance and the fire. I was like such a power in my hands. And then I got really captivated by this idea. So I come to him after that. I go, hey, tell me what's the deal? Ah. <laughs> how, do I be a, how do I become a dominatrix? Now I'm curious. And then it was um, quite a journey to become one. Really? Can you share the journey? Yeah, well, initially it was rather superficial mechanical because there was no mentorship, no one who would be like quite deep and interesting in that. It was more like me coming to New York and getting a job in a dungeon and the owners giving very quick superficial training. Um, this is how you tie someone up. This is how you whip someone and that's it. And then just so quickly, they post my pictures, they share online that I'm very experienced. And then all the clients start coming my way and I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> wow. So you learned on the job, essentially. Oh, I just had to fake it until I make it. 
Really? My faking was so bad initially. I was Russian immigrant and the first session, of course, was about verbal humiliation, which I didn't know even English words for to humiliate. So oh my goodness. That was one hour. <laughs> His request was verbal, verbal Yeah, no physical. Don't touch me. Don't do anything with me. Just verbal humiliation for an hour. And I just didn't know what to say. I was so lost. I thought, okay, I'm a failure. I'm not able to do this job. Wow. <laughs> That's a fascinating concept to me, verbal humiliation. Like, yeah, that's a desire. Just, I couldn't get it. And, of course, I got curious after some time. Like, why do people even want this? Like, what's yeah. the point of this? Why would someone look for this? So that was also a psychological exploration. Like, first I had to be good at faking until I make it. You know, so I can also, like, make a living. I quit my job. I needed to have clients, sustain myself somehow. I'm 22 years old, New York City, alone. Like, of course, I want to be successful at that. Uh, but then at the same time, I was curious. Like, yeah. What's the point? Why people look for this? How, why they get off from this? Like, And then I started to see why do I get off from this? That was another question because I started to like it. I learned all these humiliating words. Wow. <laughs> I knew how to humiliate someone for one hour and I started to enjoy it. But there was a sense of confidence and power. Um, and like how creativity, like you can make up all kinds of scenarios right on the spot on how else you can guide someone in that state. But basically it's about destroying someone's ego ultimately. It's about destroying those layers of me being cool and being powerful and like especially the men who are like kind of powerful men, like Wall Street guys, business owners, New York City, all men of power would come to this place to get broken to feel vulnerable, to like, feel safe, to feel their desires, vulnerabilities, fantasies. Yeah, and that would give them something that they wouldn't get anywhere else. So it was really fascinating for me because in the office environment where I worked, everything was very superficial. Um, it was very much like small talk, the right ways of behaving. And over there, I was so raw, like people would expose some sides of themselves that I would never find elsewhere. And they would be so secretive about it too, like well, your wife should never find out, their boss should never find out. Kind of like the secret knowledge that f made me feel so privileged that I'm seeing that side of humanity that others don't get to see. Wow. Yeah. You would never expect it of someone that's high powered that they want to be quote unquote broken. Mm-hmm. Why do you think? What Surprise. is it about vulnerability that's so appealing well, it's and about healing? Unmasking, and it's about balance too, balance of power, because at some point if you're too powerful, you feel like there is too much in your shoulders and you want to really like drop it all because power comes with consequence of having too much of that masculine, hyper-masculine kind of control in your life where you have to just be on top of everything, so people start looking for balance. And the second is, of course, vulnerability as a gateway to authenticity, to humanness, yes, to softness, to connection, to intimacy, because if you're in this state of control all the time, it's hard for you to connect with people, you're on guard. Mm. You have masks on to protect yourself, and. There you kind of have certain masks because we play some roles, <laughs> like I'm the mistress, he's the slave, whatever. But, and still, like those masks are closer to the core of your being because that slave mask, for example, is your vulnerability, which wants to expose themselves, like, oh, I want to be held. 
I want to be pushed around. I want to be played with, like the childlike aspect too. If we all desire this, why is it so shamed? Because it's not safe and we want to be in control to feel safe. Mm. That's survival kind of strategy to avoid being vulnerable, to preserve something precious uh, in order to make it through, to survive, to wait. It's like freezing until better times. But mm. ultimately we all watch, want that better times to come so we can finally open up and... Sometimes it happens in the kind of environment like Dungeon Space, New York, Secret Underground, but some of us are already more lucky where we can be more vulnerable in our daily life, be more authentic, more real, more true, where we have community that supports that. And I feel like it's coming. It's already a trend. It's already less of a secret, less taboo, um, less forbidden, less shamed. Like it becomes acknowledged as a normal human desire. Yeah, I'm really happy with it. Tantra seems to be the Yay, that's the why I'm word here. of the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm so true. happy that I transitioned from those dungeons into Tantra. Mm. Because yeah, that secretive world of course it has its own appeal and beauty, but at the same time, yeah, it has all the shadow sides as well, of course. Yeah. So at some point I started to see all this uh, shame and addiction playing out, the projections there, like the pressure on me to keep the image of a ruthless dom, which then prevents me from being vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Then I'm starting to seek my own expressions of vulnerability because otherwise I'm constantly that dom that has all her shit together. Kind of. Right. <gasps> then it becomes hard for me to maintain that image. Like I have to keep the image physically. I have to keep it energetically and it becomes un difficult for my life too. So at some point I had these moments of burnout from that. And also the addiction is a thing because it's not a mindful container there. It's a lot more about satisfying the itch and then means that you just need a more and more. So it's like with drugs. You imagine if there is a ceremonial kind of space, it's one type of setting. Um, but then other type is just you just needing to get high again and again. So BDSM can be also taken to that place of needing that high again and again and again. And stronger it, and stronger And pain. taking it stronger, more pain, yeah. more humiliation, more intensity. At some point you get to some extremes that you just sit there and like, wow, how did I get here? It's, it's just ridiculously too much. It's just wow. over the top, like, and it becomes like pretty messy and intense and extreme and unhealthy on, on many levels, physically unhealthy, like financial. I could see people just spending all their money, like instead of giving it to their families, taking it to dungeons to spend on doms. Wow. And yeah, it can be really dangerous in many ways. So, yeah, and I'm really happy that I found Tantra because it mm. took it to the whole next level. I'm so curious what's a, a humiliating phrase. Can you go there for one second? Well, it's not even about the words. I thought initially you just find some words, but I feel like it's a lot more about creating a certain scenario where someone feels completely like, you know, taken out of their comfort zone. Huh. Yeah, and every person is different. That's why it's so different for everyone. What is their like key situation, key phrase 
that feels humiliating, but I feel like m all of us can think if we, like as we listen right now, we can look into and think what would be the worst way, what, what kind of name or situation like would be the most like humiliating for us to appear on. And then we can all find something. For women, it's slut shaming, for example. Yeah. It's a big one. Yeah. Just calling like a woman like you're a filthy slut. That's like, oof. And I feel it in me. Like if someone mm. says that to me, it's super vulnerable. Of course, if I'm like in my conscious thinking mind I would be defending myself but right. imagine myself creating that situation consciously and then I would allow that filthy slut take me a lot further inside of me it would break me it would crack me open so those words those situations you can actually use to open someone up so the difference even between conscious container and like the, the non-consensual situations is the intentionality and the safety of space how do you create the safe space and how do you figure out what is that kind of edge for someone, for them to help to help support them in exploring? Yeah, safe space is such a topic that it can be a whole subject on its own because we call it safe space, metaphorically safe space. At the same time, there is no 100% safety because you, the edges are being pushed in a way. Yeah. And sometimes when you find out about your boundary, it's already crossed. So it's like there's <laughs> a lot of risk in the safety of space. Right. Uh, but still, you give it the best try to really create safe space and uh, it can mean many different things like for many people it's the confidentiality it's the trust it's a possibility to be honest you can actually speak your truth um, and uh, just designing time and space like the coziness the warmth the ambience of the space mm -hmm. consent is of course the key word here we need to do everything mindfully consensually there is negotiation around boundaries about how you speak up and who is in charge what does it really mean to surrender it's such a subtle word means many things like so many people believe that well if I come to experience such as shibari and I need to surrender means that I that I need to give my power away to someone, but it's not true. You are in power the whole time, and your surrender is your choice that you make every moment. You're not doing it one one time, and now you have to surrender to everything. No, you can actually change your mind any moment when you choose not to surrender, and that's also a beautiful choice. So yeah, it's a very explorative space where you get to learn so much about yourself, about the power dynamics, about all kinds of projections and triggers, like possibilities. It's just really playful space of so many possibilities of self-discovery. I love it. Okay, will you explain a little bit about Shabari and how and why it's so healing? So this is the art of being tied up yeah, so it's a Japanese uh, 14th century art of torture, which has been transformed <laughs> at this point. Um, but it started as a way to torture high-ranking officials who have been trapped. And they, the way to torture them is not as much physical, but more uh, psychological, uh, based on shame, to expose someone in some elaborate ties in front of a crowd, <gasps> someone powerful, to make them feel ashamed. So shame was actually the torture at that time, which is interesting to know that these days many people have heard of Brené Brown, who speaks mm -hmm. on vulnerability and shame as a gateway to love, belonging, connection, intimacy, creativity. So same shame has the element of torture, but the other side of it is all those gifts. So what's the difference? Mm -hmm. The difference is safety and intentionality. So in, in Japan, there was a time that wasn't safe. The intention was to actually torture someone. 
Um, but uh, now the art has evolved and now martial arts, energy flow, all of this has like this magic element to it, like where things are done purposefully, things done with respect to one another, with consent, with awareness of breath, with awareness of energy. So it becomes like a very deep, multidimensional practice. Uh, so what makes it healing art these days is those three components. First one is intentionality. Second one is safe space. And the third one is being present in the moment. So my job as a healer to cultivate that and healing happens. I don't do anything special myself except for knowing some art of tying and being able to keep um, keep us organized in the state of presence, holding that intention in the background of the journey um, and having that safe space for us to explore. And then everything else just happens just because the intention is, has a huge power. Safe space offers this container for vulnerability and staying present is what keeps us here instead of allowing the thoughts to take us into all kinds of different realms. Wow. Okay. And so in the actual session, are, are you're tying them up in different positions? Mm -hmm. So it all depends on the person, of course, different intentions, different. Someone comes to me, for example, to uh, experience safety and relaxation. If that's the intention, the ties will go according to that. If someone is in the opposite space, for example, I've been in my comfort zone for too long. I want to have a breakthrough. I want to see something deeper. I want to uncover and befriend my shadow, like different intentions like that. That also gives the different tone to the session. And uh, as far as different ties, it also depends on the person. For some people, it's so scary, so triggering that just tying fingers together is enough to begin with because it's just too much for them. They just don't trust to that extent. There was an example of a client who actually publicly shared an article sharing the, his experience. So I'm not sharing the secret. He's pretty open. Uh, he was in the military uh, before and he has this like deep mistrust, like deep PTSD, like where he just wouldn't let women embrace him from behind, basically. <gasps> like, and that's something that his wife experienced with him. Like, yeah. wow, he wouldn't trust me to lead in any way, to hold him in any way. So she came together actually to for a session with him and to support him. And um, he said, like, I cannot, I cannot even imagine that you will even tie my hand. Like, it's just that much to me. So that was his intention to learn trust feminine wow yes. and somehow like we stayed together just holding hand for some time before his body said yes he just had to really develop that trust slowly and for him just tying one hand was his biggest breakthrough that i just embraced him from behind and tied his hand and then wow. from there, we took things further. And because that was the moment that he decided that I will give it a chance. I want to trust. Uh. And then when that decision happened, like it started to flow one hand, the other hand, <laughs> his whole body, <laughs> face, <laughs> neck. Like, and he was just flying inside that container. He was feeling his rage. He was letting his tears out. He was so ecstatic in his emotionality because can you imagine how much repression of the feminine has happened within his system? over the years and now finally he decides to trust it and finally he expresses it so it's not that much even about his relationship with women but it's more about his connection to his inner feminine mm. and that his inner feminine is also his emotionality sensitivity sensuality 
and him being able to experience this raw humanness, this like Shakti flow within his system. It's really incredible. Wow. So yeah, in his case, it was one hand. And yet some other people are on the opposite end of the spectrum. They just feel way too comfortable. <laughs> and they want to get out of their comfort zone. So then, of course, we take things deeper. And so if their body allows, if they feel comfortable, we can have that full body suspension, upside down suspension. Wow. Yeah, so everyone has just different comfort zone. And we just need to dance with the edge. We don't have the goal to make it as intense as possible, mm -hmm. like as dramatic, as like picturesque as possible. That's not the goal. The goal is to play and flirt with the edge. Got it. What if uh, a woman has some shame around sex? Like a woman with your background, right? Mm -hmm. with, with that upbringing that um, the woman is to be submissive and too much sex for a woman is shameful. Are there specific techniques or intentions to work with that? So we set the intention and then the rest really is up to the flow. So I'm just going to start tying her. Um, and at this point, like I know many techniques, but the intuition will decide yeah. where I'm going to take her. And that will be also decided every moment because if her body keeps on saying yes, 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 then I'll keep on tying more. If at some point body says, oh, it's enough, or she says, oh, it's enough, we're going to slow down. So we will be changing the experience. So the, the type of ties are constantly changing, which constantly changing from one position to the other. But within those ties, she's having her own journey, and the journey will be according to the intention. And like she surrenders to the intention, and I surrender too. So I cannot force it to go one way. For me, it's also an experience of surrender yeah. and trust, because who the hell am I to know <laughs> what's right for her and how to heal her or any of that? Like I need to get myself out of the equation and trust the flow. Beautiful. What are some of the physical cues that you can see? Is there a contraction in the body if you've gone yeah, somewhere? Yeah, you constantly watch the body language. Body speaks a lot louder than words. And of course, it does take a person who has certain connection with their body. It's a little harder to work with people who are completely disembodied. But then the work will revolve around getting them to be embodied. So we would probably focus on that one as being the core intention. And that's when we would celebrate little improvements of connection with the body for example for some people it's really even hard to make a loud exhale like for me it's very natural i go to yoga class and i'm like ah <laughs> it's just so sweet right for, uh, for some people who don't connect with their body that would be the biggest challenge hmm. to overcome so we explore that but for people who are already having certain level of connection with their body it's really sweet for me to flow with them because i will feel what their body is saying and their body speaks loud with relaxation contractions like different um vocal expressions different emotional expressions different body parts become more activated than other body parts like toes <laughs> yes <laughs> toes can be like curling yeah and that's and a that's a pleasure and that can be interesting thing actually can mean many things okay sometimes for some people it's a playful pleasure like being tickled curling toes for other people it's also a way that they will they will hide themselves from me so yeah, it's hard to just make 100% logical sense with that because uh, it's not just like, okay, this body signal means that. Uh, it's a lot deeper and more intuitive than that. Okay. Just, 
And at the same time, it does take two. Sometimes when I'm not 100% clear where someone is, I can check in. Yeah. Like, how are you feeling? Where are you at? Some people are vocally expressing themselves all the time. They would be just making moans or making like different like sounds, which will indicate their state of being. But some other people will be um, like more quiet so then i will ask them like okay share what's happening what where are you now so there's this always like search for attunement and we definitely don't want to flow any further without being on the same page without me being together with them yeah we've a little bit touched on this but maybe we can go a bit deeper why is there a therapeutic value in intense pleasurable pain mm. Why is the therapeutic value? So first of all, the embodiment. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you start first for coming to your body and experiencing yourself without the filter of your mind. What happens with ropes is that once you're trapped, once you're restrained, uh, your mind tends to switch off. And this is the state of being which is potent for healing. This is what people are looking for in meditative states, in psychedelic experiences, because... Ultimately, what's preventing us from releasing and healing from insights, breakthroughs, from changing of certain patterns of life is our own mind, the constructs in our mind, in our thinking. We believe our thinking. So what happens in a rope container, first of all, like we are brought into the body. Second, our mind tends to switch off. And it's because we feel safe, we feel held. The rope container tends to make us feel safe and then from that i would expect the opposite i'd be like i'm tied i'm in trouble i'm trapped like you just said like yes. the word trapped so it's an interesting feeling because you can experience both at the same time okay because you might know that you brought yourself here <laughs> you might know that you want to be here that you trust the practitioner everything is going well but within that you have freedom to experience non-safety and to go through your deepest fears got it so okay. it's like both at the same time okay. it's quite fascinating isn't it that yeah. you welcome the paradox like you know that you're safe and at the same time you are free to experience fears it's kind of like you can compare it with going to horror movies <laughs> but yeah, that's a bit yeah, more yeah. intentional and more embodied than that so you kind of you have safety yeah. to experience the deep unsafety that's Got what it. i'm saying and that's okay. the biggest joy of being vulnerable in such safe space fascinating okay i interrupted you keep going yeah I, with a therapeutic I value Oh, yeah, so another thing that I can share, um, maybe some have heard of Peter Levine, the leading edge researcher of trauma work. Mm. And he has an incredible book on trauma, uh, trauma release uh, called In an Unspoken Voice. He describes how trauma gets formed and how trauma gets released. So basically, in order for us to to be tr to say like uh, encapsulate that trauma like to not just go through some challenging experience but actually to have that freeze response where we are actually deciding to kind of disconnect from our body not process something that's mm -hmm. been challenging for us right in order for that to happen we have to be have two conditions we have to be somehow frightened or enraged some kind of strong sensation strong emotion strong fear and at the same time feel trapped. We're not able to escape the situation, can be metaphorically speaking. And then the disassociation happens, and then we are not able to process that kind of discord within the system, right? That feeling of being trapped, and then at the same time feeling that strong no, strong discomfort, strong fear, strong rage. Like when you're repressing your rage, 
but you just have no choice because in the situation where you are, it would not be safe to express it. So here in rope container, you're welcome to unpack trauma in the, the same way as it's been packed. So basically, you are experiencing the situation of being trapped. And then those, all those emotions that you couldn't process before, they start to come on the surface, such as fear. Like, oh my God, I'm trapped. Oh my God, I'm angry at someone. Like, I am frightened. I have overwhelming confusion. I'm lost. I'm falling to pieces. Like, all those challenging things that have been hard to process otherwise. So Peter Levine, he says in this book that in, in order to deconstruct our trauma, we have to be in a situation of being trapped, metaphorically or physically speaking, and experiencing that emotion that is challenging somehow and know that we are safe. Wow. So that's the, the key is safety, because when you are having this intense experience and when you're trapped and then you're not safe, that's when trauma gets to be formed and then you are deconstructing it by being safe in the same situation. So being wow. like in rope container can mean for some people like they can go back to some childhood episode and feeling like I'm trapped in my motherly love that was toxic, for example. So all of a sudden I can become the mother figure who is tying them with their toxic love, for example. But at wow. the same time, they know they're here by their choice. They know they can stop at any time. They know they're breathing. They're in a beautiful, safe space where everything is well and I'm there for them. I'm not there against them. So this is how they feel safe to stay with that feeling which didn't feel safe before and then they can fully process this whole dynamic of toxic love of their mother and not being safe there and they can cry or they can rage against her they can have some freedom of expression which they didn't have before so that's why uh, so many people who are in rope container they share how safe they feel to be free wow that makes perfect sense it's you you create the safe space to explore those moments in your childhood where you weren't safe and then you probably created some belief systems or some kind of mindset out of that yeah, experience. Yeah, it can be so forgotten. It's mm. like sometimes just people think, oh, my God, I had no idea this was still in my system. Wow. When I got tied up by my mentor for the first time, that's how I got into Shibari, by the way. I was having a crisis in my femdom career in New York, and I traveled to Asia in search for spiritual path. And I met a Shibari master. I got really curious, like, wow, he's doing male doming kind of work. <laughs> it's interesting. I got like lots of recommendations to see him, that he's a great person, he's safe, he's really having integrity in his practice. So and I decided to pay him to tie me up. Like, and I was so curious, like, wow, let's really switch. Let's see how it feels on the other side. I want to experience that. That was your first time? I haven't been like professional. I haven't had a professional session. Of course, I would get like some spanking in my personal life. Yeah. But it's not the same when you like really have a professional container, like professional shibari master. Yeah. Five hours of like flow and ropes. It's big. It's like it can be compared to ayahuasca journey. Um, so what happened? He started to tie me up. And he started to intuitively tie me in the way that felt right for him, which was kind of aggressive manhandling kind of way. 
And I instantly felt that he's my father. And I started to shout at him that I hate you. And, and in the midst of that, I felt the awareness is there. I'm seeing what's going on. I'm obviously seeing he's not my father. He's a guy whom I paid to tie me up. <laughs> and I'm safe here. Everything is okay. But the level of rage, anger, and hatred towards my father, I had no idea. I had it in my system. Wow. I didn't know that. And through that, I could also see how much I hate myself in this, how much I hate my masculine how much I mistrust myself. So I started to see clearly the things that I couldn't see before. And I was able to really process that anger, that hatred. It really opened the door to, the, to find a new relationship with my father because I didn't want to keep hating him. I didn't want to feel like I'm manhandled by him in some way. I didn't want to have that relationship with masculine. So that brought me to a major stage of my healing path. Huge. That was really huge. That was just one part of the session, though. That five hours like took me in so many paradises and mm -hmm. hells, and like I got to learn things about me, about just overall dynamics. It's not just my personal thing. I felt like I've learned a lot of collective things that are happening, different masculine and feminine dynamics, different cries and roars and rages. It was just really so many things about life have been revealed to me in that session and that's how I decided to offer this gift to others because that's really rare to find. Hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> I, I My mouth has dropped open. It's such an incredible work. I would never have thought that being tied up would lead to freedom. That's what you're kind of saying. Right? Yeah. Because it's containment that we're ultimately looking for, and that's just one way. And that's why these days all these different containers and modalities are so trendy. Like people need that. We have we've established freedom. Most of us already like became more or less independent these days. The independence is something that we're striving for. We can make freedoms to make decisions, change my mind, decide what what do I want to do. But that kind of keeps us a lot in our minds in this masculine space of like me needing to make decisions like and make plans and like schedules. But then when you're rope, all of that is gone. Like you don't have plans, schedules, you don't have past and future. You're just here and then you only meet yourself. You ultimately, if I'm tying someone, it's not really about me. They meet them themselves. I'm keeping them contained within their body and I'm just there to guard their safety and like follow their body cues to guide them where they need to be. And at the same time, it's a vulnerable work. As you can see, there is room for misattunement too. And that's why for me, it's always feels like it's a very sacred, special, vulnerable place to guide people. Just like for them, it's a sacred, vulnerable space to be guided. How do you support couples, for example? Do you support couples in, in sharing their desires more open and honestly? when it comes to maybe some kinky practices or BDSM or uh, what is, first of all, maybe what's the difference between kink and BDSM? <laughs> it's an interesting label. So I feel like they kind of point in that direction, but they have a bit different flavor. So kink is something that is not normal. And again, it's only subjective what's right. normal, right? You can decide for yourself because for some people, oral sex is kinky already. You know, it really depends because if in your culture, if majority people believe that oral sex is kinky, then that's your kink. <laughs> so, and BDSM is a bit more specific to bondage, discipline, sadism, and masochism. It has more uh, direction towards power exchange. 
So Got I was it. playing with power. And as we all know, power is a huge trigger. It's somewhere something that people can take advantage of, can get lost, can get corrupt. So for many people, it's also a taboo thing, like power. No, 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 I'm a spiritual person. I want to be even with everyone. I don't want any power dynamics in my life. I want to be safer if I'm even. So BDSM is like welcoming this triggering experience of power on one side one person gets to experience having so much power i can do whatever i want oh my god i'm ruling the show i'm the ultimate leader here i can let my creativity flow in every possible direction it's a very intoxicating feeling to experience and the other side of it is this total surrender just take me use me break me like do anything you want with me please like i'm totally have no will of my own. I want to be taken. I want to be used. I want to be asked what to do. I want to be told what to do. So both states of being have this kind of interesting common element of like feeling blissed out, feeling kind of powerful beyond any measure because ultimately when you give up your power and someone is using you, taking you, like telling you what to do, you feel powerful because you're just one with them. It's like this interesting avenue for unity, ultimately, because both dominant and submissive, they meet together in one state, just by one of them embracing that ultimate power and another one embracing that powerlessness, they become one. So it's like, it's an interesting search for that unity. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah, and it comes to couples. Yeah, I love to share that. I Please. like uh, different couples have different intention, of course. Uh, it can be more like just by sex life, and it's great. There are so many things you want to do. Otherwise, if you have normal family situation, you know, sex becomes boring, routine. Like it's hard to spice things up. Like if there are family children and you're just used to the same dynamics at home, like, of course, we are human. We are seeking something spicy we're seeking variety so the bdsm has a lot of opportunities for adding more variety to sex life um so it's incredible to see different relationships blossom to that i think people shouldn't should not disregard their sexuality their fire or the flame of their relationship i think it's something that is so important and so beautiful and definitely worth devoting attention so conscious exploration of sexuality king bdsm shibari is a great way to start bringing something fresh something beautiful to the relationship one of my favorite workshops that i teach is my signature workshop uh, signature offering i believe called intimately tied it's a weekend kind of getaway for either for couples for singles for coaches for healers everyone finds their benefited it but the whole point is to dive into rope tying not from a technical standpoint but from an energy connection intimacy consent standpoint and uh, this way people get to see that it's not about being precise with ropes doing it right but more about how you flow with someone how you hold space to someone how you surrender to someone and that's that's usually the way it flows. It's incredible. People have such t deep takeaways from that. And it's I, I will not exaggerate if I say if it's life-changing. Because these are the places most people haven't visited yet. Right. They have all kinds of taboos and prejudice when it comes to power exchange, ropes, tying, vulnerability, power. Like all these places, they are having this like ingrained trigger there that uh oh this is trouble trouble i better stay away from it travel but 
when you go for this consciously, you are seeing there is a lot of gift in those troubles and places. And my work is to hold space, safe space for everyone to feel like it's okay to explore it. It's safe to explore it. It's going to deepen the relationship if I'm trying something new, if I open up deeper to my partner, if I show my partner a different side of me. So it's really fascinating to see how much people learn through, through this experience. Amazing. So if someone were curious about kink and maybe uh, a little BDSM, would that be the right place to start? If someone is curious about kink BDSM, yeah, there are many places to start. I think it's great to get guidance from someone who has more experience in general because this is how you get inspired. This is how you get you know, kind of initiated by someone who is already comfortable in it. So it's a lot of knowledge that you can get from this person. So, of course, it's great to get guidance just like with anything. Yeah, I can definitely say that you are invited to my Intimately Tied workshop. It's a great place to start, but there are different places out there in the world. These days it becomes slowly more and more trendy to explore consciously in tantric and like in holistic containers, uh, explore more somatically in more coaching containers. So I believe, yeah, it's good to do a good research before you dive into that because um, this is a very fertile ground for something beautiful to blossom, but it's also a chance to do it wrong. <laughs> and when people do it wrong, they can have bad experience. They yeah. can be ultimately taking them in the opposite direction. They can shrink, they can hide, they can end up feeling more ashamed of themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my biggest advice would be do it slowly, carefully, do your research. If you want to get help with this, like make good research around the person who will help you because there are different practitioners who have different styles, different ways of doing it. So there is a right one for you. You just need to do some good, uh, good research. Just don't dive blindly into all of this right yeah. away. Don't go too far right away. Just take it easy, take it slow and find some guidance, which will be a good energetic match for you. You also have a Tantric BDSM immersion course online. Yay, is that is also a, a good place to go? This is a great place to go, yeah. <laughs> so it's been my baby after I officially closed the chapter of being a dominatrix. I decided to wrap it up with this online course because um, it's been 12 years of exploring spirituality, sexuality, BDSM. And I have a lot to offer and I wanted to leave people with knowledge instead of me being a professional dom. I wanted to share it with others so they can take it wherever they want to take it, whether it's a you know, personal life or professional coaching containers or um, yeah, different self-explorations. Like There are different ways that you can use this knowledge, of course. But we filmed the material all over the world. We have it in Bali, we have it in Thailand. We have it in New York City, different styles. It's a lot about ropes, but it's also about classic BDSM, such as impact play, um, role play experience, different uh, erotic humiliation dynamics, such as like face slapping and um, breath play, like different funny, playful things, different intense things, shamanic descent, shamanic ascent, communication between couples, of course, consent, consent, consent is super important, how to communicate your desires and want, how to find the partner that is great, the psychological aspects such as shadow work, Jungian shadow work, and also more spiritual aspects such as 
tantric deities archetypes, how to embrace your inner Kali goddess, for example, the, the, the destroyer of the ego and like shamanic journeys, how to have create safe space for a deeper journey experience and how to make it more soft, sweet and playful and safe. So yeah, it's a 10 week course available online. Wow, 10 weeks, that's immersive. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay, last question. If little six-year-old Rina is sitting next to you, what would you say to her? Mm, I would say that you are so beautiful in your uniqueness. Mm. Don't be afraid of yourself. Be yourself. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Mm. <laughs> oh. What a sweet last question. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts that you wanted to share? Did something else come up? No, I feel like it was a great conclusion. It was amazing to share. I loved speaking on the topics that I love so much. Mm, yeah. and I love to bring people in the world of exploration, yeah. creativity. And yeah, shadow work is not all about therapy and some dark stuff. Sometimes you get to heal playfully. And that's also the beauty of this path. So I would recommend all to consider more creative and playful avenues of self-expression, self-exploration, which can ultimately lead to harmony and healing. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. Love you all.